touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. You know, many have said about the Wisconsin Badger football team, myself included, Matt Scrady in the morning included here on WKTY, that they don't beat up, to put it gently, on the lesser opponents. You know, they don't really stamp their foot down. They don't blow them out. They don't boat race them. They don't score 70 on those lesser opponents like Ohio State maybe does or Michigan. Well, say what you want about the Wisconsin Badger football team, but that no longer can be said about the Wisconsin Badger basketball team as they absolutely obliterate Savannah State last night. 101-260. to Yeah, that's right. 101 points scored by the Wisconsin Badgers. I don't even know the last time that they scored 100 points in my lifetime. I'm not sure I can remember it, but that is uh, is certainly something to commend in and of itself. Cracking 100 points. 69 points in the first half. I mean, they were all over. The Savannah State, what even are they? I don't know, Jaguars, Leopards, something like that. I don't know, I'll check and get that to you shortly enough. Although, don't even waste your time remembering it. That team is 3-9 and nine and they are awful. It didn't help uh, Savannah State's case, though. The Badgers shot the absolute lights out of the ball, which was, uh, which was welcomed after a tough stretch of games. For those of you not following along with the Wisconsin Badgers basketball program so far, we haven't got a chance to talk really about them this week so far. We've been so busy with with Packers-Bears talk and the playoff scenarios is as fun and as crazy as they may be. This is the Wisco Sports Show, and we do have a little bit of a chance today to talk Wisconsin Badgers basketball. 100 to, 101 to 60 was the final last night at the Kohl Center, and it was a much-welcomed cupcake opponent for the Badgers. And that's what I wanted to start with here on the Wisco Sports Show on WKTY today. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for making time, tuning in. I certainly appreciate it. And don't worry, we will get to plenty of Badgers and Bears talk coming up later on in the show. But if we don't get to these Badgers, we're going to miss out. And last night was one of the most impressive games I might have actually ever seen from this program. And yeah, I know Savannah State's awful. I know they're a garbage team. They're not a Power 5 conference. They're not even a major conference. But we've talked about for the last couple of weeks... I guess three, two or three weeks now that the narrative has been, are the Badgers really the 12th best team in the country? Are they really the fifth or not the 15th or the 16th best team in the country, which is where they sit now at 16? And my answer to that to this point is, I don't really know. But through this point, yeah, their resume is as good as anyone. They've got good quality wins, both at home on the road against Power 5 opponents and their one and only loss up to last Saturday, which I believe uh, was the last time we talked was was right before that Marquette game. Their only loss was to Virginia, which has been one of the most impressive programs in the country and one of the most consistent and believable programs. If you're going to buy stock in any program over the last couple of years, you take Virginia. I I don't think you're worried about being duped. Uh, by the Virginia Cavaliers and Tony Bennett. So I think that's a good loss. And then then their other loss coming to Marquette on Saturday, which I'm glad we haven't talked about because that was an ugly game that the Badgers certainly should have won. But they sit at 9-2 and two with a lot of wins against Power 5 opponents. In fact, in the last eight games and 26 days, all of their games, all eight of them, have been against major conference opponents. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that this is just another cupcake opponent that the Badgers have played. Yeah, they've played some poor opponents. Most teams do in the beginning of the non-conference season. Just kind of a warm-up. That's the way college basketball works. And for the most part, that's the way college football works as well. Maybe as an exception from one or two games in that non-conference stretch. So the Badgers, eight games, 26 days, all against major conference opponents. A welcome cupcake last night, and they did the most with it and beat the brakes 
off of Savannah State, which is what we've complained about for years with the football team, right? Is that they don't do that. When they get an, a, a chance against a poor non-conference opponent to really flex their muscles, they don't do it. And they don't take advantage of it. And last night, Greg Gard and, and the squad did exactly that. And some of you who may have been paying attention to the details of the game last night noticed that Kobe King got his first start as a member of the Wisconsin Badgers uh, in place for the nicked-up Khalil Iverson. Now, Kobe King played 23 minutes, so he was on the lower end in terms of starters. Ethan Hatt played 28, Brad Davison 29, but keep in mind, most of those guys were well on their way to the bench with a good amount of time in the second half left just because of the score. Kobe King last night, 23 minutes, 4 of 8 from the field, 10 points, uh, a couple of rebounds, uh, and an assist or two as well. Only one assist, excuse me. So Kobe King maybe sliding into the routine of things, and, and maybe last night's game wasn't Ultimately, incredibly impressive. I mean, he had 10 points and he and he started his first game. But I think the most important part is that he started his first game. Uh, the lacrosse central product starting his first game as a member of the Wisconsin Badgers. And then more so, Khalil Iverson's injured. The first man they call on is not Brevin Pritzel, who's got a, who's got a, a handsome amount of experience compared to Kobe King. They don't call on a guy like Charlie Thomas, who also has a handsome amount of experience or uh, or um, the one name that I'm forgetting about doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I guess you could argue for Aleem Ford, maybe, uh, but uh, but some of those older players not getting the call last night. Kobe King did, and I think that bodes well for maybe playing time in the future, especially guys like Trevor Anderson now injured. That bench gets a little bit smaller, and the decision has to be made, and instead of starting Brevin Pritzel, which shocked me, they go to Kobe King. So congratulations to Kobe King, the lacrosse central product, adding in double-digit points as well with 10 in only 23 minutes of action. Turns out that was all they really would need. Uh, and it was crazy. The funny thing to me was... You know, I'm following along with the score on, on Twitter while I'm watching the game. What I do is oftentimes when I'm watching sports, right, and maybe you do the same thing, I like to watch the game and then have Twitter up and, and, and see what the writers, see what the analysts are saying, get little nuggets fed to you as the game goes on, right? So things that you wouldn't notice just watching the television broadcast or listening to the radio broadcast or what have you. Something that uh, Zach Heilprin, who's uh, filled the Friday slot here on WKTY throughout the Badgers season with the Badger Roundtable show, uh, and then as a guest on this show as well, always does a terrific job talking Badgers, says Wisconsin, and, and this was in the first night, or last night, excuse me, in the first half, 69 first half points breaks a 30 year old record. Okay. So last time they scored 69 points and a half was 1988. And you might think, well, they must have done it again against a cupcake, right? They must have done it against the likes of Western Kentucky or Eastern Carolina or, or I don't know, Michigan Baptist, something, some school you've never heard of, right? Some school that was scheduled as a cupcake. They get a little money to come play at the Kohl Center and the Badgers get a warm up game in their non conference season. No, in the most truest, and the most uh, badger way possible, they scored 69 points and a half, or 67 in 1988 against Iowa. Because, of course, there's no way that the Badgers could have, and this is why this is so impressive and why I'm so happy about it, that they dropped 101 and completely blew Savannah State off of the map last night, is because this is something that Badger athletics typically don't do. They might be playing against subpar opponents, right? But they don't always take it upon themselves to blow that team out of the water and make a statement. And I think that that goes to say the last time they scored 69 points and a half was in 88 and it was against Iowa. It was just a, a, a night where they had a really good half against another Big Ten opponent. Nothing out of the ordinary. It wasn't them jumping on a, on a really poor program, although Iowa has had its down years. Still a power five, still a Big Ten opponent. That's just the most badger thing I've ever seen. I was like, oh, it must be the, the record must be coming from some scrub team back in the 80s or the 70s. No, it was against a Big Ten opponent. <laughs> So soak it in, Badger fans. I mean, that's a that's a, a resume building win. You know, and, and the question has been, are the Badgers a top fifteen team? Or are they a top twenty team? Because that's where they've been ranked, right? Do they deserve that? 
Well, they have so far, and they proved it last night. They said, all right, we're, you're going to give us a 3-9 and nine out of conference team, not Power 5 team in Savannah State. We are going to take them to task and show you how much better we are. Because if you look back to the beginning of the Badger football season, and I know apples and oranges, but in this case, I think it's a really good comparison. Again, teams like BYU, even if they would have beaten BYU, would it have been all that impressive? No, and I think this basketball team last night took it upon themselves to really make a statement. Ethan Happ, 28 points. And what was important and impressive, Brad Davison, who's had a bad couple of games, shot 8 of 11 last night, 6 of 9 from beyond the three-point arc, hit his both, both his free throws and scored 24 points in 29 minutes of action. So a good bounce-back game for Brad Davison. Obviously, Ethan Happ was Ethan Happ, and Demetri Trice played pretty well as well. 14 points, 4 of 7 from beyond the three-point line. The threes were raining in. They hit 11 first-half threes. 11! That was a record as well. They ended up with, uh, I believe, 16 or 17 on the night. So a pretty good night for the Wisconsin Badgers. Taking it upon themselves to make a statement when they have an opportunity to do so against a weak team. And I do not think that can be overstated. And as we continue to follow this Badgers team, it's an it's another quality win of sorts, right? Yeah, they're not hanging in there with a Power 5 opponent. They're not beating a team like Xavier on the road. They're not beating a team like Oklahoma or NC State at home. Yeah, they're winning at home against a, a really lackluster opponent, but they did so in a way that makes you, you know, double take. Makes you look twice. Wait, they did what? They scored 101 points? The Wisconsin Badgers? The D, the man-to-man defense team that they are? The, the slow it down and make you play ugly team that they are? They dropped 101? Yeah. So once again, the argument. Are the Badgers a top 20 team? I don't know. But it's another win that would lend you to think so. They've earned the ranking that they currently sit at, which is 16. We'll see if that changes around. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Do not worry. We'll get to plenty of backers and bears talk. Starting at about 5.30, including... Something that you're not going to want to miss and, uh, miss to wrap up the show. A little celebration of Randall Cobb. And that's all I'm going to tell you as of right now. Uh, we're going to talk about some keys to the game. I rewatched the week one matchup between the Packers and the Bears. And a couple of things really jumped off the tape that I didn't think about until today. Until when I watched that game. Uh, so I want to share those with you. And maybe you will agree. Maybe you will disagree. 608-796-2558. The five-star telecom talk and text line. Good Wisconsin Badgers talk to start the show. I want to talk a little bit of Bucks. And it's not chalk talk, it's not X's and O's, it's not, well, the Badgers lost on the road to Indiana last night, because uh, I think that's more of a learning thing. Chris Middleton is out of the lineup, and or not out of the lineup, he has missed some games, and I think in the middle of a shooting slump right now, I don't take a whole lot of stock into their loss in Indiana last night. But there's one thing that I take stock into, and I know we've been talking about the Packers and HaHa Clinton Dix, and, and how those two entities have impacted or affected each other now that they have split since the trade deadline. That's been a conversation, right? Well, I'd like to do the same thing now. Because a former Buck has made his way into the news, and the more and more we move on, and the more time separates now and uh, and the decision that the Bucks made earlier this summer to let the free agent to be walk, the more the Bucks are looking right. Yeah, the front office of the Milwaukee Bucks making a right choice. It's pretty crazy, and there was some some crazy news revolving this player who now plays for the Chicago Bulls, breaking last night through Breacher Report. And ESPN, and I want to talk about that coming up next because it's a fascinating story. A lot more to come here on the Wisco Sports Show. I'm your host, Grant Bills. You're listening to WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I have your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. And speaking of outstanding athletes in the Cooley region, we're going to have some local basketball tonight. Tip-off at 7 Drew Kelly, the voice of local sports here on WKTY, will bring you the call around 7. So make sure you're tuning in. You can also stream at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app as well. So a good night of sports on the way. The Bucks, who are also in action tonight, a couple of players missing. I retweeted that information out 
On our WKTY Twitter account, you can find that at WKTY. The Bucks are over on WIZM tonight on WISM, our news stations, 92.3 FM, 14.10 AM. You can hear the Bucks there tonight. In case local sports aren't really your thing, that's where you can find your Milwaukee Bucks. And I do want to talk about the Bucks in some way, fashion, or form here. The fun thing about sports, and, and it's more than just talking about what are the keys to winning and who do you think is going to win. There's so much more to, to sports than that. And one of my favorite things, about sports is almost as fun as talking about what's going on in the field and and a direction the team is going. Even more so, sometimes, it's fun to talk about the what-ifs. If this team would have gotten this player, what would have happened? Or if this team would not have traded away this player or let this player walk in free agency, what might it look like? If this player never got hurt, what would what would the conversation be like instead? And those hypotheticals and what-ifs are so much fun, especially in sports radio, right? Because it's great to have those conversations. It's fun. It's entertaining. And it almost takes us away from, well, the fact that the Packers probably aren't going to make the playoffs. You know, it's it's something else to talk about. And we have done that so far this season with HaHa Clinton Dix. I know Matt Scrady of Mornings with David Scrady here on WKTY has talked about that at length on Twitter and on Facebook, just trying to troll Packers fans a little bit, saying Clinton Dix would have made that play. Or I wonder what this Packers defense would look like if they hadn't have traded away Clinton Dix. You know, things like that. And that's such a fun conversation to have. It's such a fun game to play. And does it mean a whole lot? Probably not. Is it really meaningful or or realistic or fair to have these conversations? No. Like another one is, what if the Packers had drafted TJ Watt instead of Kevin King? Is that fair? No, because there's hundreds of other players they could have taken. But that's what we single out, right? That's the conversation we like to have. Well, now the Bucs are in a situation uh, much like this. And Jabari Parker is making the news. The headline came out last night and I saw it. I couldn't believe it. So apparently the Bulls forward, Jabari Parker, is to be dropped from the regular rotation. He's not going to see any minutes. The other night he saw four in the first half, and he didn't see anything in the second half, did not play. Now, he's been their sixth man when the Bulls signed him to a two-year contract, $20 million a year. Only the first year was guaranteed. So if the Bulls, more so we thought regarding injury, because Jabari Parker now has torn his ACL twice with the Bucks, which was part of their reluctance, I would imagine, to let him walk in free agency. The Bulls said, hey, we'll give you $20 million guaranteed this year. We're rebuilding. We have the money. We, we can kind of afford to, to take a bath on a little bit of a risk, on a little bit of an adventure with Jabari Parker. And if it doesn't work out or if you get injured again, we have the opportunity at the end of the season to say, see ya, thank you very much. We're not going to pick up your option. And you become a free agent once again which might be better for both parties involved, right? So that's the situation with Jabari Parker and the Chicago Bulls. Well, Fred Hoiberg, the Chicago Bulls coach, has been cut loose, and now Jim Boylan is running the show. Now, I don't know Jim Boylan. I'm not in Chicago. I don't read much about Jim Boylan, but the things that I have read is that he's a real hard ass. He loves to make the players run. Practices have been averaging about two and a half hours, and the players don't like it. Actually, the players hate it, to be quite honest. And Jabari Parker, somebody who never had a real interest in playing defense, You don't really know about his work ethic because I'm not at practice. Say what you want about his work ethic, but he came back from two ACL tears. All right, keep that in mind. I think that's that's something that needs to be mentioned. And to give Jabari Parker his his fair shake, his his deserved credit, you need to mention that before we go ripping on his work ethic. That being said, Jim Boylan has been kind of accused of losing a team, and there's there's kind of a mess going down in Chicago. Jabari Parker didn't come off the bench in the second half, and Boylan was asked about it, the $20 million man. He said, well, I think it's a matchup thing. It's hard to play three fours, meaning three power forwards. It's difficult to do that. You know, this team is not about one person, one matchup. It's about the team, and you play your minutes when you're in there, and when you're not, you support the guys who are. Okay, one thing, I agree, it is hard to play three fours, uh, but it's funny because he says, well, I think it's a matchup thing, and then he goes on to say, uh, it's not about one person or one matchup, even though he 
basically said so a couple words beforehand. But that's not important. We don't need to break down the press conference of Jim Boylan. What I do want to get interested in, and what I am interested in, what I do want to get into, is maybe where Jabari Parker will end up and what this situation will turn into. I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that Jabari Parker's had his minutes cut because shortly after Boylan was hired, and this is straight from the ESPN article, which came out last night. It's really well done. It says this, shortly after Boylan was hired, he met with all the Bulls players individually to discuss their role on the team. Boylan has experimented with playing Parker at small forward and power forward, and he said Parker had taken both roles in stride. Here's the quote. Jabari has been great, Boylan said. He understands. Jabari wants to make it about helping the team win, and that's what we've asked him to do. Jabari Parker, who's 23 years old, uh, is now averaging 15.8 points, 7.1 rebounds, and about two and a half assists per game in a six-man type of role, right? He's the first guy off the bench, and understandably so when you're paying him $20 million a year. Now, my question arises now, Boylan says Jabari's been great, he wants to help the team win, he's taken both roles, he's been asked to play the four and the three, he's more comfortable at the four. That's what he played in college. That's what he played on the Bucks. I've always thought of him as more of a three, but he's played both nonetheless, and apparently he's taken both roles in stride. He's done well and had success at both. He's averaging 15, almost 16 points a game as a six-man, which is, which is solid. That's about as much as you can ask from a six-man, in my opinion. So why cut his minutes? This whole situation for me was the Bulls taking a flyer, and they're saying, hey, we got a really good young core. We're not paying any of them uh, a significantly large amount of money, right? So, hey, Jabari, you're from Chicago. The Bucks and you seem to just need to go in separate ways. So we're going to bring you in, right? We're going to bring you in, and we'll give you $20 million this year. That's all years guaranteed. Next year, that's a different question. We can pick up your second-year option for another $20 million, or we can say, thank you very much, you're on your way. Whether it doesn't work out or you get injured again because that knee has been a problem for him, whatever it may be, we can cut bait with you at the end of the year. So, that being said, I don't understand the Bulls' reticence to just give him some minutes. This is a guy who's been in and out of the lineup for mo- for periods that are months long, right? He's missed half of seasons, full seasons, due to that ACL tear. And he's never, in my opinion, really gotten his feet under him. And this would be the perfect season to do it. The Bulls not looking to contend. There's other young stars around him like Laurie Markkinen and Chris Dunn and Zach Levine. Just let him play. And if he blows his knee out again, fine. Don't pick up his second-year contract, and you're only out the $20 million you're going to be out anyways. I don't understand their reticence to just give him some minutes. Now, I know Jabari Parker hates defense. I know that. Maybe his effort in practice isn't great. I don't know. I I have a a hard time believing that his work ethic could be that poor, seeing that he has rehabbed himself back from two ACL injuries and did so for a coach that hated his guts in Jason Kidd. I don't know what he's like inside that locker room. He always seems to be pretty soft-spoken and all about helping the team win. As a member of the Milwaukee Bucks, he only spoke out once because he wasn't getting a whole lot of minutes in a playoff series. And when he was handed a couple more minutes, I thought he did a pretty good job. And I thought he stepped up to the plate. I'm not saying Jabari Parker's an all-star. I'm not saying he even deserves the $20 million of an experiment contract the Bulls gave him. But I will say, the Bulls knew what they were getting into. They knew he didn't like defense. They knew maybe he was a little bit softer on some ends of the floor. He was about scoring, but maybe that was it. And he has a bad knee. And they gave him a contract to fit the situation. So I don't know why there's reticence to give him minutes. And now I don't know why they're having second thoughts. It blows my mind. Now, that being said, the Bucks' decision to let Jabari Parker walk looks better every day. It looks better every day. And ever since that choice has been made and Dante DiVincenzo was first drafted, the Bucs have done nothing but 
make some pretty solid moves from their front office. Now, I was a guy who had an issue with Jabari Parker walking for nothing because he was a second overall pick. You don't get talent that high in the NBA ever. This isn't the NFL draft where you can draft a difference maker 30 spots deep or 25 or 20 or 15 spots deep. There are two to three to four, maybe four, transformational players in the draft every year, and there's always a bust or two mixed in that top four as well. You don't get in the lottery. The Bucks had to lose over 80 games. They lost, no, not over 80 games, excuse me. They, had, they lost 70 games. They had a 12-win season to get Jabari Parker, and they let him walk for nothing. That was my problem. Now that they've let him walk, it looks like the smartest decision they've ever made, to be completely honest. Now, Jabari Parker does have a little bit of value as an expiring contract. Maybe the Bulls try to move on that. For those of you who aren't really entrenched in how the NBA works, it's slightly different than the MLB or or the NFL. When when a player is traded in the NFL or the MLB with only that season remaining on his contract, like Manny Machado, for example, that's a great example. CeCe Sabathia in 2008. The Brewers have a lot of, uh, Brewers fans have experience with that. They're referred to as a rental, right? So the Brewers can only give up so much because it's only a rental. It's only a rental. They're only renting them for the remainder of the season, right? And that is the the large asterisk. That's the footnote on some of these trades made in the MLB and in the NFL. You're, you're renting him for a year, right? And then you're going to have to readdress in free agency and possibly allocate some funds if you want to keep him on as a free agent and make him part of the long-term plans of the team. Now, in the NBA, things are a little bit different. Because you really can't draft a franchise a franchise-changing player, Unless you're in the top three. And even if you are in the top three, it often takes three or four years for that player to come of age and to pop. Free agency is where it's all happened, especially with player mobility in the NBA. Oh my gosh. Players are jumping around. They're moving. They're telling teams where they want to be traded. Players in the NBA have more power than ever. So the whole idea is to attract free agents, to attract existing and established superstars. Now, one way to do that is by clearing cap space. And one way to do that is for trading for expiring contracts. For example... A team could trade for Jabari Parker knowing that his contract is done at the end of the year. And they say, here, we'll give you these established players or these draft picks. Just give us Jabari Parker. He might not even play a minute for him. We might buy him out. We just want his contract. Because we know at the end of the year, he's gonna that expiring contract is going to provide us with some cap space. And that's going to free up money for next year for them to build their team in the future. That's really the only value that Jabari Parker has right now, especially sitting at a $20 million contract. And I thought that contract in that situation was perfect for Chicago, just like I thought that when they drafted the contract up. I don't know. whole situation's a mess, and it's entertaining to follow, especially because he's not on my team. He's on the Chicago Bulls, am I right? Speaking of Chicago, I do want to transition, and I want to talk a little bit of Packers-Bears. I had an opportunity today. Well, I shouldn't say I had an opportunity. UWL's in finals week right now. I made an opportunity to sit down and rewatch the Packers-Bears game from week one, and I got some takeaways. I got some thoughts, and, and I think given what I saw and probably what the Packers see as well, although it's weeks now later, a couple things that I think could be applied to this Packers-Bears game to make it even more enticing. And that's what I want to get into. And including before the show wraps up today, probably at about 5.50, we have an ode to Randall Cobb and his ponage and his ownage of this team from Chicago for the last three or four years, uh, even going back farther than that since he was a rookie. So I want to talk about that. And we will give a little tribute to number 18, Randall Cobb, as well before the show wraps up. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. More to come next. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, both at 96.7 FM and 580 AM. Don't forget, you can also stream at our website, WKTYsports.com, and on our mobile app as well. If you haven't downloaded it already, 
Do it. What are you waiting for? Get with the times. It also has a feature right in the app to call and text the station. So if you don't have that app and you don't have that luxury, 608-796-2558, you can do so on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Some interesting basketball talk to get the show rolling today. It had been a while since we had talked Badgers, and they got a big blowout, flexed their muscles over a lesser opponent last night. And the Bucks and Jabari Parker, since their divorce earlier this year, both teams, uh, well, I should say, the Bucks look Better, not worse for the wear. Jabari Parker still seems to uh, not be able to find his way in the NBA. His minutes being cut won't be part of the rotation. They might buy him out. And for a real rebuilding team to buy a player out, uh, especially as young as 23 years old, you typically see that with veterans uh, to say, hey, uh, we know your career's wrapping up. We don't want to subject you to being part of our rebuild. Go compete, sign as a free agent. And uh, you don't typically see that with 23-year-old players. That That situation is unique and, and something that I'm interested and intrigued to follow in the future. And I know Dave is as well of Mornings with Dave and Scrady. Don't forget to tune into them every morning. I'm sure they were talking Jabari Parker at one point or another this morning. I do want to get into the Packers and the Bears. Something we've been talking about all week long is, uh, well, what can the Packers do to prepare? You know, what what are the keys to the game? And I thought, well, instead of looking forward for a little bit, why don't we look back? Uh, and I took a little time this afternoon to sit down and rewatch the matchup from week one where Aaron Rodgers injures his knee, comes back in the second half, and it and it really was one of the more memorable, special Packer games that I've watched in my lifetime as a Packer fan and as a football fan. One of the cooler comebacks that you've seen this week or this season as well. Uh, a lot of fascinating plays and a lot of really exciting plays as well down the stretch by both teams on both sides of the ball. But something that I thought, instead of looking forward, in, instead of focusing on this Sunday, let's look back to week number one and and a couple things that I noticed and I will share with you now. If you remember anything or you want the Packers to do something a particular way this Sunday, please, by all means, go ahead and share. I'd love to have a conversation on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line 608-796-2558. You can also get in touch with the show on Twitter. You can find me at Keystroker Grant and you can find the station at WKTY. Both will do the trick. Send in a treat, a tweet. And, uh, and we can have a conversation on air about it. I would love to talk Packers-Bears coming up this Sunday. One thing that I noticed immediately, and I remember this because I remember thinking this when I was watching the game. Remember, this was our first action of the season, meaningful action, and, and first real glimpse at what Mike Pettin was going to bring to the defensive side of the ball, opposed to what we had seen from Dom Capers, right? This was our first glance, and I remember the first drive. The Bears went down the field, 10 plays, 86 yards, Four of four for Mitch Dubrisky. Now, I don't remember that off the top of my head. I had to go back and check. Ten plays, 86 yards, four of four for the rookie or the the second-year quarterback and the rookie head coach. Now, part of you might say because of that drive, you might say, well, they had scripted plays, right? That's kind of the cop-out answer when your defense has uh, some failures and and isn't able to succeed and get stops early on in the game. Well, the other team scripted some plays, and and I'm sure that's 100% true. But if you continue to look throughout the season, uh, last week against the Falcons was a great example against the Rams, against the Vikings. We've seen it, I mean, against Washington, Detroit. We've seen it all season long. On the first defensive possession of the game for the Green Bay Packers, I don't know if it's Mike Pettin playing a little Manila, playing relaxed, just trying to get a glance and trying to figure out what it is they should do on defense the rest of the game. And I think that's a worthwhile strategy because in just about every situation, we've seen that defense get better. Now, some games it's taken longer than others for them to figure out what it is they need to do to have some success, get some stops, maybe force a turnover. In some games, it's taken too long. The Washington game, I don't know if it really ever happened. But most games, the defense might surrender a score early and then improve and settle in 
and get tighter, maybe force a turnover, some punts, what have you, and look like a much better defense as the game goes on. What I'm saying this Sunday, you don't have time to play Manila. You don't have time to play relaxed. I want Mike Patton if now, and obviously this is all hypothetical. This is just conjecture. If I was Mike Patton and I could have it my way, I would go a complete 180. I would play so aggressive on that first opening drive. I would blitz nearly every play. I would play press coverage. Because if you're playing Manila and you're confident in Mike Pettin, or not Mike Pettin, but Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky to go down the field on you anyways, and you're just trying to get a feel, do it while being aggressive. Go down swinging, right? See if you can't force a turnover. See if you can't get an interception or a forced fumble or a penalty that sets them back, and now all of a sudden you're forcing a punt. I have no problem with Mike Pettin and his defense being a little bit slow starting and, and having to get into a groove and and need, needing to see a couple things before they can really lock down and play aggressive. All I'm saying is, if you're going to give up an opening drive touchdown, which we have seen, it feels like 70-80% of the game so far this season, go down, swing it. Go down, guns a-blazing, and say, hey, I would rather get scored on while playing aggressive and take, a, take away some wrinkles and some nuggets to adjust as the game goes on. I'd rather go down swinging. I would rather go down with the hope of maybe getting an interception or, or forcing a penalty rather than playing back on my heels and basically just taking the temperature of the game. Because you can take the temperature of the game playing aggressive. Throw a big punch. Maybe you'll connect. Who knows? If you miss, you're giving up points anyway. That's my vibe. That's what I've seen from this Packers defense. And that was immediately something when I started to watch the game. Of course, the Bears went 10 yards, 86, 10 plays, 86 yards, 4-4 four four for the second-year quarterback in his first game action with his new head coach. All I'm saying is get aggressive. Don't wait for the Bears to strike. Don't try to take a temperature. Just go out there, see if you can't make something happen early, and then take the rest of the game to settle in. That was my takeaway, especially jumped off the page the first couple of minutes that I was watching that game. Uh, Number one, this might be more wishful thinking. I should say number two, this might be more wishful thinking. On defense, you got to tackle, man. And Packers fans, you know. You know how poor of a tackling team this is. We get googly-eyed and amazed by Blake Martinez. And look, I like Blake Martinez. I think he's a good linebacker. I think he's a good run stuffer, and I think he's got enough speed to to get outside and and bring guys down. He's one of the sure-handed tacklers on this team. Now, because of that, the rest of the team is so unbelievably bad that I think we put Blake Martinez on a pedestal just a little bit. This Packers team sucks at tackling, and HaHa Clinton Dix was part of that. They obviously traded him away. Kentrell Kentrell Bryce can come up and, and maybe lay a hit down, but he's been known to whiff. Clay Matthews has been awful taking pursuit angles for most of the year. He's had his better games, his better quarters, better halves, but especially earlier on in that Bears game, just could not take a pursuit angle on anyone. Jair Alexander, I like his tackling ability at times. One of the best tacklers, I think, on the Packers team is Kevin King, and he is injured and and part of another problem that we're going to talk about coming up after the break. The Packers need to tackle, and when they have an opportunity, when they have a player blocked on a read, they need to bring him down. That means for a loss, tackle for a loss behind the line of scrimmage. They cannot let him reverse field and all of a sudden rip it down the field because players were unable to finish the play. It's one thing to read the play. It's one thing to be in the right place. It's another to make the play. And how many times have we seen this year? We saw it with Rashad Penny against the Seahawks. It looks like they were going to get a tackle for a loss. All of a sudden, he cuts back 30 yards across the field the other way and no one stayed home, let alone uh, made the tackle. I think that's something to keep in mind as well. Like I said, more wishful thinking, I think, than anything else. Tariq Cohen is tremendous in space when it comes to reverses and maybe turning something or a broken play into turning nothing into something. Tariq Cohen is is one of the best at that. And Mitch Trubisky, when a play breaks down and he gets an opportunity to maybe break loose and break contain, he is another great quarterback. 
and another great player who can really run and can really hurt you. If the Packers don't tackle soundly, it's not going to be good. Uh, like that old South Park line, you're going to have a bad time. Packers are going to have a bad time on Sunday if they can't just tackle and make the plays when they're there to be made. Obviously, there's some plays are going to be well-blocked, and you're not going to have great opportunities to get a tackle. But when Clay Matthews comes off the edge, reads a play, and contains a running back, he's got to make that play. He can't let a broken play kill the Packers. Those are backbreakers, and we saw that in Week 1 as well, and throughout the season as well. That's part of the personnel that they have. They don't have a lot of great tacklers, but that's, uh, that's just another part of wishful thinking, I think, for this defense that's going to need to be fixed going forward and not this Sunday. Another thing that I, I really want to stress and we're going to talk mostly uh, coming up to end the show here in about five to ten minutes. You have to throw Randall Cobb the ball. Last week, we talked on Monday about how it looked like Joe Philbin had a, a set of plays, maybe a package or an idea or a scheme designed to feature each player. There was a play that they ran to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and it was his read, right? It was his read. He was going up the sideline, caught some good blocks. That was his play. That play was designed to feature Marquez Valdez-Scantling. There's obviously plays to feature Demonte Adams. There's plays to get Aaron Jones involved. And I think you need to do that with Randall Cobb. I know him and Rodgers have that trust, that connection. So it might feel like that will just work itself out and they'll find ways to get number 18 involved. That's not the case. Get him the ball. Get a package. Get a scheme. Get an idea. Get something where Randall Cobb is featured because he has been a Bears killer over the years. Uh, And we have a little bit of tribute to that coming up here in five to ten minutes. All the time for the Packers offense and for Aaron Rodgers, especially we talk about trust and timing and that connection and that chemistry. Well, Randall Cobb's that guy outside of Devontae Adams. I think he might be the only guy who has that with Rodgers now that Geronimo Allison is injured. You talk about timing and trust and chemistry and being on the same page. If that's so important to Aaron Rodgers and so important to this Packers offense, the number 18 Randall Cobb needs to see a whole hell of a lot more targets than he's seeing. And I think a lot of that should come through the slot because that's a weakness in an area of the field where the Bears have their weaker personnel on the field. Their strength is their front seven. They also have some good cornerbacks like Kyle Fuller. But Kyle Fuller's not going to be lining up in the slot. He's probably going to be matching Devontae Adams on the outside, which means there might be a little bit of a window to get Randall Cobb some touches in the slot. And also, that's a really good way to get the ball out quickly. I think Randall Cobb getting a certain amount of touches and targets is really beneficial, and I think it's a good way to accomplish a couple things. Kill a couple birds with only one stone against the Bears on Sunday. Get number 18 the ball. That should be one of their biggest emphasis on offense. Because I think Devontae Adams will come. I think those targets will come. And I think the, the touches to Aaron Jones will come. Make Randall Cobb an emphasis in the offense this weekend, and I think that'll kill a lot of birds with one stone, both with the ball coming out quickly, because that's the nature of the slot position, and you're targeting a softer area personnel-wise on that Bears defense. Another thing on offense that I want to see is tempo, tempo, tempo. Part of the success that you saw in that Bears game, especially in the second half, was because the Packers were going up-tempo. Going up-tempo, up-tempo, up-tempo. No huddle, keeping that Bears defense on the field. Now, part of that was also due to Khalil Mack being a little bit out of football shape, right? Because he didn't play in the preseason, he wasn't in training cap, that was his first meaningful action, so you took advantage a little bit of that. But the Bears defense, being in their front seven, like I just mentioned, that Bears defense and their strength up front, bigger bodies, right? And probably not as well conditioned, of course conditioning is relative, but they are not meant to run up and down the field play after play after play with no rest in between. And I think the Packers going no huddle, and not just somewhat quickly, 
No, no tempo is relative, right? We've seen the Packers run it all the way down to zero seconds, play after play after play, and then we've seen them snap it with like 10 seconds, and then that's, you know, <laughs> hey, that's a mini celebration in and of itself. I'm talking about no huddle, sprinting in between plays. You make Leonard Floyd and Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack and all the rest of those big bodies up front, you make them run and you keep them on the field. You think that's going to help with the pass rush as well. Tempo, tempo, tempo should be a big emphasis uh, this weekend for the Green Bay Packers on offense against the Chicago Bears. Speaking of tempo, we got to go. We're a little bit late for a break. When we come back, uh, two points I want to make. Number one, the biggest difference between week one against the Chicago Bears and the upcoming matchup on Sunday at noon. We got to get to some action on the five-star telecom talk and text line. And we have a celebration of Randall Cobb and his success over the years against the Green Bay Packers rival Chicago Bears. It's a lot of fun. We're going to get a laugh. That's coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay right here on WKTY. Prediction time here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Grant Bills. As we go off into the weekend, the Packers and the Bears looming closer and closer. Look, this is the biggest game by far for both of these teams so far this year. I know the Bears had a, a great win. Uh, I believe it was on Sunday night. Yep, Sunday night against the Rams. I know that was a great win, and that's the class of the NFC. But until these Bears beat the Packers, I, I just feel like there's a vibe that this division and the power in this division has not yet flipped. And maybe that's the Packers fan and the Packers side in me. Maybe the Bears fans have have now considered the Packers the baby brother and they've moved on to bigger and better things. I don't know. But that's how I feel. Until the Bears beat the Packers, I, I feel like, and obviously eliminate them from the playoffs in, in some fashion or form, I feel like the division is is still... The balance is kind of undecided, and and we do want to look at some predictions here on the five-star telecom talk and text line. 608-796-2558, Bears fans and Packers fans. Anyway, chime in. Andrew in lacrosse says, Grant, what's the Nick Perry sack count on the year? We'll get to that in a sec. He says, this week I've got the Pack winning 23-20. to The game will be decided by the defense, as you've been saying. Go Pack! Andrew in lacrosse. Thanks, Andrew. As always, 23 to 20. He's got the pack. All right. If, if that turns out to be the case, we're going to give Andrew a big shout out and a big uh, a big celebration on Monday when we come back. Uh, one thing, and, and it's funny you bring up Nick Perry, Andrew. One thing that I noticed big time when I was watching the Packers-Bears game from week one, just earlier today, I was blown away by how different this team is. Guys like Wilkerson and Mike Daniels and Nick Perry all along the defensive line, now all gone. Now, of course, Kenny Clark is still there, but that defensive line, which we thought, of co- of course, because this is always what happens, whether it's with the receivers or the cornerbacks, they're hit hard by injuries. And that unit is brought crashing back down to earth. Now, Nick Perry, the funny thing about the sack count, I can actually only remember one Nick Perry sack, and it was the one that sealed the game against the Chicago Bears in week one, where he forced the fumble on fourth down to boot against Mitch Trubisky to seal it after Clay Matthews roughing the passer penalty. I don't know if Nick Perry had another sack after that, but I can't imagine it was much more than two or three, Andrew. You want an exact number, I'll I'll look it up and we can talk about it again on Monday because the Nick Perry hate is alive and well, as always. This is such a different team. Wilkerson, Daniels, Perry, now Kevin King on IR. Ha ha, Clinton Dix got traded. All areas, especially on defense, look different. And on offense, a little bit as well. I I think you can expect and and hope for a little bit more out of guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown, who has really taken a step or two here in the last couple of weeks. Now, can you expect them to be Pro Bowl-level players week in and week out and, and claim that the Packers' wide receiving core is 
you know, tremendous and one of the best in the NFC. No, but I think you can start to ask and, and look for a little bit more in those two. Jake Kumaro, uh, now active, at least. We'll see if they make a note to get him some touches and some action on Sunday. Jamon Moore hasn't done much of anything. And now Aaron Jones, back off of suspension. They have him. Uh, Ty Montgomery is now out of the backfield. It's a little bit less crowded. So differences all over this Packers team. And unfortunately, without Geronimo Allison, who I think is one of the best connections that Aaron Rodgers had, I do think he had that chemistry and that timing and that ability to be on the same page. Do I think he's the best, most gifted athletic wide receiver in the world? No, but Aaron Rodgers makes up for a lot of that if he has a wide receiver that he likes and trusts. And that was a big loss, which is why I'm saying get Randall Cobb some touches. And what was pointed out to me by one of our uh, one of our texters, Ryan Giannone, who also has joined the show and uh, works over at News 8 at CBS and has covered a lot of games, reminded me that Bryce Callahan, the slot corner, the, the big slot corner for the Chicago Bears, is placed on IR with a broken foot. So I, I kind of assumed in my take that, yes, the Bears were weaker uh, at that slot corner position, and it turned out to actually be the case. So, uh, so I got one right when I was kind of talking through my butt. But in all seriousness, no, uh, the secondary is definitely weaker on the Chicago Bears than the front seven, and their best player is going to remain on the outside, on Devontae Adams. So whatever else is left should be what the Packers look to target. And I think going to the slot and going through Randall Cobb is a way that they can do that. And speaking of Randall Cobb, Bears fans, if you've been listening today, it's been wonderful to have you. And one nice thing about the Packers-Bears rivalry is it doesn't get as nasty on this side of the state as it probably does down in Milwaukee or even in Madison. That's mostly the Viking fans, but we don't have to talk about them right now. Bears fans, I appreciate your listenership. This might sting a little bit, though. I got into the studio today, and I'm, I'm watching highlights, and I'm cutting sound bites of Randall Cobb and his big touch, his big touchdown from week one. What was it, 75, 76 yards? And I'm cutting that sound bite. And then I start to think, wait a minute. Randall Cobb had that huge catch in 2013. He's had huge catches against uh, the Bears, it seems like, all the way through. There's got to be more. And I started to count them up. Okay, yeah, there's a couple highlight plays. And I start watching. And I was like, okay, hold on. Uh, I know, and this is about 10 minutes before the show got started. I know I'm short on time. And we're up against it. The Wisco Sports Show is almost ready to begin. But I had time to put together some of these highlights into a nice little neat little montage package. And not a montage. I'm calling it a cobtage. So for me, to you Packers fans, enjoy. Well, this is it, Rock. The season right here on this fourth down play. How many times have we said that on this drive? This is it, Rock, the season right here on this fourth down play. How many times have we said that on this drive? Rodgers surveying, fires. That's caught Randall Cobb into Chicago territory. Randall Cobb inside the 20-yard line. Randall Cobb is going to score. 75 yards. That is crazy. Get that man the ball this weekend and just give him a chance to continue his ownage of the Chicago Bears, which has been the case, right? The last couple of years had that big uh, that big catch in 2013 when Chris Conti just 
pulled the revolving door and let him right through at the first down marker. And that one-handed catch to give Aaron Rodgers number six in 2014 when they hung nearly 70 points on the Chicago Bears and Mark Tressman. And then, of course, in week one this year for 75 yards to take the lead late in the fourth quarter and complete the comeback. Look, I'm not saying Randall Cobb is the best receiver on the Packers. I don't think he is. That's Devontae Adams. I'm not saying he's one of the best receivers in the NFC, but I think that matchup and that dynamic this Sunday could be one way the Packers go about getting a win. I'm not going to make a prediction. I'm not really big into predictions just because I could see the Packers blowing the Bears out. I could see the Bears blowing the Packers out, and I could see every situation in between. And I know that's where the prediction is difficult, right? Is You have to decipher and try to <laughs> figure out where uh, the actual result is going to fall. I'm not huge into predictions. It's not my favorite thing to do, and I appreciate Andrew and others chiming in on the five-star telecom talk and text line with theirs. But I will say one thing. Randall Cobb is going to be a huge key to this game outside of obviously protecting Aaron Rodgers. I think the defense needs to be aggressive early, and I think the offense needs to play with tempo. You need to tire out those bigger bodies up front who aren't speedsters. They weren't the you know the 100-meter dash guys. They were the bigger bodies. They were the linemen in college who have now beefed up and are all about getting after the passer. Kyle Fuller, those guys, Bryce Callahan, who of course is now injured, those guys are used to running. The guys up front, tire them out. Run with some tempo, play with some tempo, play with some purpose and try to quickly break down that Bears defense. Now, that being said, they could do all of that. They could do none of that. And I have no clue what the result is going to be on Sunday. But this is by far the most excited I have been since week one, probably, for a Green Bay Packers game. And that's on at noon on Sunday. You can hear it here on WKTY, uh, both pregame and postgame coverage. You can hear it all on WKTY. Local action gets underway tonight at 7 with Drew Kelly. Otherwise, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Enjoy the Packers on Sunday. I can't wait to come back and talk about it, win or lose on Monday. I am so excited. Same time, same place. I'll talk to you then.